Well, to the church, um, it's good to be here together today as we, uh, as we think and consider the Word of God. The Word of God, which we have, the, the whole counsel of God, consists of both the Old and the New Testament. The, um, the whole of the Scripture is to be understood as the fulfilment of Christ Jesus himself. Um, John's Gospel tells us that the Word of God is Jesus Christ, who was with God from the very beginning and our Bibles are written written accounts which directs us to Jesus, the Word, the very expression of, of God himself. The Bible is not a magic book. <clears throat> it's in many ways quite ordinary. Um, we put it on the shelf, we take it down from the shelf, we open it, it has chapters, it verses. We, we understand that it's just almost a very ordinary book. But in a very real way, it is a extraordinary book like no other. It is the Word of God expressed to us, uh, recorded for us by the by the community of faith over many generations. It's been preserved and kept for us. People have died so that we might have the Bible today. The Bible is not a magic book. Um, I remember this old movie National Velvet where the young Elizabeth Taylor uh, put a lottery ticket that she bought um, the stub of it into the family Bible to give her better luck for for winning the uh, the lottery, and we laugh at that sort of thing today. But uh, but it's a bit like us sometimes when we open random pages to get guidance of some direction. Um, we do have to be careful because we may actually have to buy that neighbour's donkey, and we really don't want to cut somebody's head off. Uh, or even start building the ark. Uh, imagine the uh, council permissions needed to build an ark today. When we come to the prophets, we do well to take a little time to understand who they are and what they're saying, what they were talking about, before we try to understand what it means to us today. And we've been going through the those Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, those who have been a name, um, in a, a book in the back of the Old Testament. And uh, it's not often that uh, you might hear a sermon preached on Obadiah. Well, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament, but it's not very commonly preached. And when looking at the prophets and the writings like Obadiah, there are some questions which you'll be asking. Who was the prophet? What did he have to say? Why did he need to say it? Was there any word of hope in the future? And why is it important for us today? So who was this prophet? Well, that can be easily and quickly uh, um, answered. Uh, we don't know. Um, Obadiah remains a mystery to us uh, almost two and a half thousand years later, except that we know that he was identified as a prophet. Um, and we understand what his name means. Um, like many of the prophets, the names had significance. Uh, and Obadiah means one who serves Yahweh. Well, what do we have to say? Um, Obadiah's prophecy deals with this ill feeling between two nations, between Judah and Edom. A relationship which went back centuries. Um, some conflicts can only be understood if we understand history. Uh, I remember when my daughters were quite young, uh, in our family discussions, we, we spoke about the IRA, the Irish Republic Army, Republican Army. And one of my asked, girls asked, uh, who were they? 
Uh, I mean, to understand that properly, you have to go back quite a long way in the Irish-English history. To understand problems that we face today amongst the Indigenous people, we, we have to go back uh, centuries to the coming together of the white and black people. Um, and it probably goes to that moment of the beach where, where the, the landing and within 15 minutes of the beach, the English did fire uh, their first shot. To understand the ill feeling between Islam and, and Christianity, um, you need to go back a thousand years to understand what happened in the Crusades. And to understand Obadiah's message, we have to go back about a thousand years before he said it. Most of us know the story of Abraham, who was the father of Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, and their sons was his sons was called Esau and Jacob. And Jacob was a, a deceitful sort of guy and tricked Esau out of his birthright. Um, they were twins, but Esau was the oldest. And, and the blessing that was to come to the older was given to Esau, uh, from, from Esau to, to Jacob. Both of these uh, men had great clans, great families. Uh, then they had great nations. And, and Jacob became the, nation, the, uh, became the founder of the nation of Israel. And Esau was the, from the nation of Edom. Now, Edom was uh, down the south, uh, across the Dead Sea uh, from Judah. Um, the destruction that came from the north, we've been talking about um, Assyria or, um, uh, or Babylon, how it comes, they come down and they, they saw, we saw how the northern tribes, the ten tribes of, of Israel, were completely wiped out. Um, they were completely gone by Nineveh uh, and the Assyrians uh, in 722 BC. And the northern nation of Israel was no longer. And that, then what, what was next on the agenda was the southern na nation of Judah. Ninety years later, Nineveh was destroyed by Babylon. Uh, we see superpowers rise and superpowers fall. Um, and Babylon was growing with greater influence. And, and seven years later, uh, Babylon rules, uh, rules over Jerusalem. Um, that's the time of Daniel being taken into Babylon to train and educate. So we're talking about uh, 605 BC. And there's only eight years later in in 597 BC, that Israel, uh, Jerusalem rebels against the, the overlord, the Babylon, and the, the place is flattened, the exiles are taken into Babylon, those who survived. The prophets in Jerusalem argued, really, every time that it was finally God's judgment had, had been dealt with, that God had come and taken into exile those who are the evil ones. And so we are now the pure remnant. We are the ones who have been blessed by God, and those evil people have gone. But of course, Jeremiah's message was completely different. Um, and, and he said they are the remnant that God was going to keep for future, future generations. Why do you think the old brother nation of Edom uh, was doing doing, what were they doing when this was happening, when, when Babylon come down and uh, flatten Jerusalem? Well, we read, we read that in uh, verse 10. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame, you'll be destroyed forever. 
on the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should, you should not look down on your brother on the day of misfortune, not rejoice over the, the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of disaster, nor look down upon them in the day of calamity, in the, in the day of destruction, nor seize their wealth in the day of disaster. Do you see what was happening um, uh, when the Israelites were being massacred, they were being destroyed? Edom, they, they not only did nothing but cheer on the Babylonians, but they actually set out to bring harm to those who were trying to escape, those who were refugees. And so God's judgment was upon them. So why did... Obadiah need to say this. Um, well, Obadiah was probably nowhere near Eden when he preached this. Um, the prophecy was really not for them as much as it was those who were in captive. He would have served to encourage the people of God in exile that God had not forgotten their sufferings. God was not a God uh, that was distance. God was a God of justice too, and their sufferings will not be forgotten. Actually, Eden were, were mountain people. Um, and their pride and their arrogance uh, from those dizzy heights found them in this lofty location where they could easily defend themselves against invaders. And we see that in verse uh, 3 and 4. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the, the clefts of the rocks and make your home in the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, where I, from where I'll bring you down, declares the Lord. The message for, was for God's people. It was to, to communicate to them that they did not have to worry about their enemies, that, that God was going to deal with it. It was, it was a recognition that God was indeed with them, even in their sufferings. God was there. He's not distance, distant from them. He was with them in the valley of the shadow of death, as we remembered in Psalm 23 recently, God is present in our sufferings. And that's a pretty significant thing for us to remember today, isn't it? That God is with us even in our sufferings. We want God, of course, to save us from our sufferings, to, to give us a perfect life, but it's, it's so much more significant than that. God will actually be with us in the sufferings. But why is this important today? There is a, a message of destruction against Edom for, the, for their part. So is this just a good moral? Um, is it sort of like, could I simply say, he who lasts, lasts, lasts longest? And that's the moral of the story. I don't think so. The books that we have in the Bible here are, are not just historical accounts of what happened. They are, a, they are a map for us to understand the common themes of the, of the scriptures that we can see in our lives today. That we can see here rival factions that go back to, right, not just to, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, but to Genesis 3, where after the fall, God identifies a rivalry between the woman's seed, Eve's seed, and the seed of the serpent. 
between those who represent the image of God and the rule of God and those who would love to plunge the, the creation in the depths of evil, the evil of humanity. Here we see an evil in action. Edom represents all these evils, taking the opportunity to destroy and to take advantage and cause more suffering, which we see so often in our world today. The rivalry between these two goes back to Esau and Jacob, where Edom represents that path of evil. It does not matter how high and mighty or powerful uh, these forces of evil are, God will bring them down. God will deal with them. And that's the confidence that we can have. We should not overlook verse 15 from this passage. Uh, it is because this, this verse is not just for Edom, the, the, the nation that is evil, but all the nations. Uh, verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. That, that day where God will bring judgment is near for, not just for Edom, but for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will be returned upon your head. These categories of um, these rivalries, these themes, help us recognise Jesus, our Saviour. In the New Testament, we see Jesus as the true and the better Israel. And Babylon, uh, uh, the, uh, the forces of evil in the, in the world, want to bring down Jesus. Uh, Jesus, who was sinless, who bore the, the punishment of the world for their sins and did so willingly to show the world the love of the mercy of the Father, was working in competition. Um, there, was a, there was this rivalry between the forces of evil who would who want to bring down anything of God. But Jesus, who died for the, for the sins of the, the earth, uh, for the world, um, Death on the cross bore his, not his own sins like Israel did when they went into Babylon, but he, Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. He, had, he was sinless himself, but he bore the sins of others. So in verse 11 again, On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off wealth and foreigners entered in gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like them, that's what the passage says. When Jesus bore the grace and dignity, when he was nailed under the tree, did he, did he not bear the, the consequences of the sins of the world while the other nations carried off even his meagre possessions, casting lots for a tunic? Who, and, and who we see looking on and jeering? Israel itself takes the role of Eden. Israel is the one who is calling for the death of this Messiah. As humanity rebels against the rightful heir, the king's son, the seed of the woman is struck, but also the seed of the serpent seeks to deliver that final bite. But they do not understand that humanity was going to lose. But they did not understand that the humiliation, the beatings, the mocking, the, the crown of thorns that was meant to, to bring harm or to dehumanize, to, to bring down, actually raised Jesus up before the whole world and he was presented as, 
as the true king of the world, the lamb was that was slain will be worshipped. After the resurrection, Jesus spoke to his disciples about how the prophets spoke about him. Can you imagine him getting to Obadiah? And finally, the disciples, cling, 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 the light comes on. Finally, I understood Obadiah. It's my understanding that Obadiah was proclaiming this message after the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. Edom was not spared. Uh, the Babylonian destruction kept going south, and 34 years later, Edom was completely destroyed. Even though Jerusalem was destroyed at the time too, Obadiah could say, verse 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its, possess its inheritance. It's a bold statement for Obadiah to say Mount Zion, the, the holy place, will be delivered after it has been destroyed already. See, Zion is the is the place, the very centre, was the very centre of Jerusalem, made on, on that mountaintop um, where the, the, the temple of God was there. The, the, the temple was the meeting place of heaven and earth. The, the temple was where God and humans met. And that's why Zion was indeed so special. If Zion was the place where God dwells, Jesus can be understood to be the true and the better Zion, where the reign of the offspring of David, King David, can continue for all eternity. Zion was ultimately delivered when Jesus rose from the grave to display his glory and the power of the true Son of God, proving that he was God. So, do you need a temple today? Should we go to the temple? If the temple is a place where God and humanity dwell, if it is the meeting place of heaven and earth, where do we go for that to happen? It's certainly not a church building. It is us. We are the dwelling place of the Most High. Heaven and earth meet in the followers of Jesus Christ. We are the, the true temple of God. The message to Edom or to anyone who works against what God is doing in the world, be warned. Don't scoff. Don't, don't ridicule. Don't be indifferent to God. Deliverance is only found in Jesus. To be, a, to, to be indifferent to Jesus means that you are outside that salvation plan. So my strongest encouragement for anyone here is to accept the plan provided by our Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and accept him as Lord. Even this is last week, I I had a phone call from a person who's seeking to show love and care to another human being, you know, and yet is finding it so hard because they're only being met with, um, with hurt and harm. And I just commended her because she's actually doing exactly what Jesus did. And we too are called to act in this way. This is the message we share today and every day. God is love, and you know, and you can know that God today. So let me encourage you, don't be proud, don't be arrogant, don't work against the purposes and plans of God. Today is the day of your salvation. 
And let me just encourage you to grab it with both hands. So let's pray. And Father, today is the day of our salvation. Lord, for anyone who does not know Jesus as Lord, has the opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus, and we pray for those people. Lord, Lord help them say yes to Jesus. Open their eyes to see Jesus, the, the, the Lamb who was slain, is bringing salvation. And in, in all his glory, we'll, we'll see him once again in the second coming. I want to pray for us who have been on this journey for a while as we say yes to Jesus again and again every day where we discover something more of our salvation. We realise our not so much our eternal salvation but salvation from doing foolishness and acting foolishly in life to bring harm to others. Lord, we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be hard-hearted. So we pray, Lord, you through your spirit, you continue to transform us. Indeed, today is the day of our salvation for everyone. As we say yes to Jesus, we say no to the things that would um, call us back and deceive us and uh, try to win us over. Lord, we just thank you for the, the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, calls us to follow him in humility, in obedience, in suffering, and in sacrifice. Father, may we take those steps of faith in whatever area you're calling us to come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.